Dedicated missionary service returns a dividend of eternal joy, which extends throughout mortality and into eternity. I want it absolutely clear that I declared to the world in the most straightforward language I could summon that the Book of Mormon is true. True disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out, speak up, and be different. If you're not a full-time missionary with a missionary badge pinned on your coat, now is the time to paint one on your heart. God has something unimaginable in mind for you personally and the church collectively. A marvelous work and a wonder. In this church, what we know will always trump what we do not know. Missionary work is an identifying feature of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Always has it been, ever shall it be. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mission Prep Podcast. I'm so stoked to be here for yet another episode. And for anyone that might be new here, my name is Jaron, and I am a return missionary. Here, I talk about everything that has to do with serving a full-time mission, and I hope that what I have to share is helpful to you guys in some way as you continue preparing to serve your own mission. In many ways, my mission has been the greatest experience of my life, as well as the hardest but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I hope that you guys will feel the same way at the conclusion of your mission. Other than sharing some of my own insights and experiences, through this podcast, I hope to create a community of preparing missionaries. And to do this, what I'll have you do is write in to me at missionpreppodcast at gmail.com with anything you want to share or ask, and I'll make sure that your voice is heard here on the podcast. So far, I've had a couple of you write in to share your mission calls as well as ask a couple of questions. And this is exactly the kind of thing that I want to get going. So guys, please don't be shy and let's just keep this going. Okay, that's all I've got for the intro today. Without further ado, let's just dive right into this episode. So to start off, I've got a poem that a friend sent me about missionary work. I have no idea who wrote it or where it came from, but I think it's totally worth sharing here. It says, Oh, Father, why am I here? Am I just wasting time? Sometimes I want to go home. I'm sorry, but that's on my mind. Now you have it. I can't go on. I don't know what to do. That, my Father in heaven, is the prayer that I have for you. My prayer now finished. I get up and jump right into bed. I need my rest for tomorrow. We have another long day ahead. Sleep starts to overtake me. I almost drift away. Then it seems a vision takes me to another time and another day. I'm standing alone on a hill. The view is very nice. A man walks towards me and says, My name is Jesus Christ. Tears of joy well up inside. I fall down to his feet. Arise, he states. Follow me to the shade. You and I need to speak. My attentions toward my Savior, total and complete. He says, Your mission is similar of what happened to me. I understand how you feel. I know what you are going through. In fact, it'd be fair to say I felt the same as you. I even know how you felt when no one listened to you. At times, I felt not quite sure what else that I could do. I know you don't like to bike. For you, a car would be sweet. Just remember the donkey I rode wasn't equipped with 21 speeds. I understand you don't like sweating. In fact, it's something you hate. When I sweat blood from every pore, 
Oh, the agony was great. I see you don't like your companion. You'd rather have someone else. I remember my companion, Judas. He sold my life for wealth. It's hard to wear a helmet and have people make fun of you, much like when they put thorns on my head and called me the king of the Jews. So you feel burdened down by the weight of your pack? I recall how heavy the cross was when they slammed it on my back. Your hands hurt from tracting and knocking on doors all day. I guess when they pounded nails into mine, I ached in a similar way. It's hard not to hear from home when your family's not there to see. I lost communication on the cross and cried, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? We have a lot in common, but there is a difference between us, you see. I endured to the end and finished my mission, so follow and do like me. He embraced me in his arms. His light filled me with his love. With tears in my eyes, I watched as he ascended back to the Father above. I stood with awe and wonder when a beep rang in my head. Listening, I heard my alarm and realized I was still in my bed. My companion let out a grumble. It's 6.30 already? No way. I sat up and said, come on, I'll even carry your scriptures today. No matter what we go through, when we feel like we can't take more, just stop and think about Jesus Christ. He has been there before. So this idea from this poem about having a personal conversation with Jesus Christ leads me to ask you guys, who is Jesus to you? If you had a dream or if you envision yourself talking with him face to face, what would he look like to you? What would he do? What kinds of things would he say? And what would you say to him? Would you know him better than you do now? As you guys reflect on those questions, I want to share a story from the New Testament. I've already made brief mention of the story in a previous episode, but there's something else about it that I think is important to ponder and discuss that relates to those questions that I just asked. This story has to do with the events leading up to the Savior's death and resurrection during the last week of his life. I will specifically be talking about differences between the people's reaction to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and to his arrest and crucifixion. So as was Jewish custom, all Jews gathered in Jerusalem this time of year for the Passover feast which is just a celebration of remembrance of the children of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian slavery 1,300 years prior. So a few days before the Passover celebration, Jesus and his disciples arrived in Jerusalem to attend, as this was something that they most likely did every year. But this particular year, there was much talk about Jesus attending this Passover celebration under the knowledge that priestly officials had planned to take him into custody. Because of all the miracles he had performed up to this point, his fame had spread everywhere. And many recognized him as a great prophet, and to some, he was even the promised Messiah. For this reason, the common people celebrated his coming to the holy city. So upon arriving at the city on the Sunday before the Passover feast, the people gathered around him to cheer for him and to praise him. The scriptures say that a great multitude spread their garments in the way, and cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way. Essentially, they were laying the red carpet before him and fanning him with palm leaves. The Jewish people knew the prophecies concerning the Christ, or the Messiah. They had a hope that he would come and save them. But many mistakenly thought that this meant that he would wipe the Romans out of the city and deliver them from Roman oppression. Even the Savior's own apostles, whom had traveled and been with him for the last three years, didn't yet fully understand what he had come here to do. On a few occasions, he had hinted to them that there would come a time when he would no longer be with them that he would be delivered into the hands of men and be killed. And they still didn't fully comprehend his meaning. How could that happen to him if he is the Christ? This is probably what they were thinking. To them, and to many others, Jesus was the Messiah who would strike down their enemies and deliver the house of Israel from the Romans. 
And there's really no question as to whether or not he had the power to do it if he so willed. In fact, he had shown on many occasions that he had the ability to literally do anything. And even though the celebration of the Passover itself was symbolic of the deliverance of the house of Israel from physical slavery, many Jews were unaware that the Lamb of God was among them to deliver them from spiritual slavery. So Jesus came to do what he needed to do and not necessarily what they, the people, wanted him to do or expected him to do. So understandingly, his apostles didn't want him to die. They loved him, but their idea of his purpose for being here was really short-sighted. At this point in time, they didn't really see the big picture. They were focused on him delivering them from what was right in front of them, when in reality, the pinnacle of Jesus' mortal life was to deliver not only the Jews, but all of God's children from the greatest threat of all, which is death and sin. And so what happened when he was taken into custody that Thursday night in Gethsemane? They all fled and left his side. Jesus willingly let his captors take him, which was not what the apostles wanted or expected him to do at all. Even Peter, his chief apostle, was ready to fight back and go to battle. But Christ knew that his time had come, and so he let these Roman officers take him. His apostles were unaware, but Jesus knew that by delivering himself to them, that he was about to win the greatest battle of all. So there is a really stark contrast between the people's reaction to him entering the city and their reaction to him being lifted on the cross. When he first came to Jerusalem earlier that week, they were all by his side praising him, but none were with him save only a few of his closest disciples when he was on the cross. And we know that many of those same people who only days before had celebrated him actually turned against him during his illegal trial before Jewish and Roman leaders. Many may have reacted out of fear or doubt, but it is clear that some had completely turned their backs on him when he didn't do what in their minds the promised Messiah was supposed to do. So after his arrest, even his very own apostle, Simon Peter, had denied his acquaintance with him when he was accused of being one of his followers. It is important to remember, however, that there was probably a small handful of his followers who actually understood beforehand that these events had to play out the way that they did. Before this all happened, many had even acknowledged him as the Lamb of God, signifying that they understood that lambs that were given as sacrifice under Mosaic law were actually symbolic of Christ sacrificing himself for us. Those ordinances were supposed to remind the house of Israel of him who would come and willingly give his life to pay the price for all of our sins. But to many Jews, and even to some of those who were closest to him, he was only the Messiah who would solve their immediate problems. And it's understandable that they had this perspective because in many instances, he did solve their immediate problems. And that was an important part of his ministry. But the miracles he performed paled in comparison to what would be his greatest act of all, which was his atonement. So how often do we all find ourselves in the same situation as Jesus' disciples? We have great hopes and expectations that if we follow him, then our righteous desires will all be fulfilled and he will bless us only to doubt or get discouraged or even turn away when things don't turn out the way that we had hoped or when challenges arise. Just like many of those who lived during his time, we may even redefine who Jesus is to us when he doesn't do what we expect him to do. So when we think about who Jesus is to us, who is he really? Is he just a great moral teacher? Is he a philosopher? Someone who comforts us? Someone who gives us what we want? Is he a prophet? Or is he the Son of God, the promised Messiah, 
our Redeemer. He may play many roles in our lives, but that shouldn't change what defines his identity and character as our Savior. Of all the incredible things he does for us, the most important was his infinite atonement. So as a missionary or even at any other point in your life, you might pray in hope that he will bless you with the things that you want. You might pray in hope that you will have success. You might even pray in hope and expect that he will make things easier for you or that everything in your life will just go perfectly. Certainly he can do all these things for you and in some cases he surely will, but is that what our faith is rooted in? That he will meet our expectations and just give us what we want? Or is our faith simply in him? Not because of what he does for us, but because of who he is. There is a quote by Elder Neil A. Maxwell that I absolutely love. He says, How can you and I really expect to glide naively through life as if to say, Lord, give me experience, but not grief, not sorrow, not pain, not opposition, not betrayal, and certainly not to be forsaken. Keep for me, Lord, all those experiences which make thee what thou art. Then let me come and dwell with thee and fully share thy joy. I absolutely love Elder Maxwell. I probably don't understand most of what he says, but these words are clear to me. Do we expect to be able to live in the Garden of Eden and still gain the experience that we need in order to learn and receive all that God has? Are we praying for life to be comfortable or are we praying to know him and to know what he wants for us personally? As we come to know Christ better, we'll come to understand that he didn't die necessarily to make things easier for us, but to make them possible. As we come to know Christ better, we will go from having faith that he will grant us the righteous desires of our hearts to that he can. It requires a lot of faith on our part for him to grant our earnest petitions, but even greater faith is required for those occasions when in divine wisdom, he doesn't. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, not the outcomes. So as you continue your preparations to serve a mission as a representative of Jesus Christ, I invite you all to study his words and his life and just really get to know his character. When things become difficult, you're going to be forced into a pivotal moment when you will discover where your faith really lies. You cannot have faith in someone who you know little about, and you certainly cannot represent someone when you don't know who they are. So I strongly encourage you guys to really ponder who Jesus is to you. When you put in the work, you will discover that having a knowledge of who he really is will be the greatest treasure that you could ever receive. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of the Mission Prep Podcast. I want you all to know that I know that Jesus lives and that because of him, all things are possible. I love you guys. You're awesome. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace.